Well, fans of the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Gonzaga Bulldogs saw their worst fears potentially realized with a report that Chet Holmgren may have torn ligaments in his foot during the Jamal Crawford crossover pro-am in Seattle on Saturday. Much more on his injury, what it means for him going forward, right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I'd also like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. All right, I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day as well as those of you who have checked out the show on YouTube. We are very close to our goal of 1,000 subscribers on YouTube before the start of the college basketball season. We've still got a few months, but if you are a listener to the show and you have not done so yet, very simple. Go to YouTube.com, search Locked on Zags. You will find every episode of the show there for you. You can hit that big orange subscribe button as well. All right, we're talking Chet Holmgren segment one. Unfortunately, it is not good news for the unicorn. For anybody who may have missed this story, Chet Holmgren participated in the crossover pro-am on Saturday at Seattle Pacific University, uh, right there in the heart of Seattle, Jamal Crawford, excuse me, Gonzaga legend, NBA legend, Seattle basketball legend. Uh, He put on this event. It's been going on for at least a couple of years now. This year, they really blew it up. They were bringing back... Seattle area legends to participate in the event. Isaiah Thomas was in attendance. Uh, We also saw Deontay Murray from the San Antonio Spurs, now the Atlanta Hawks. He brought Trey Young. John Collins was there as well. Malachi Flynn. And then, of course, Paolo Bancaro with his Seattle ties. Chet Holmgren with his Washington ties. Both participated in the event a few weeks ago. They came back for a really, really special Saturday with LeBron James, the king himself, in town, in Seattle, the whole event, part of it was to drum up interest in basketball in the city in Seattle, show people how much people around this city love the sport of basketball. Of course, the Sonics taken away from the city of Seattle a long time ago. I know that's a very sore subject for many, many people listening to this podcast, many people who are not particularly thrilled that Holmgren ended up in Oklahoma City, the team formerly known as the Seattle Sonics. But this was a really cool event that was put together by Jamal Crawford. I want to start by talking about that because I I think that there is some some frustration, some anger about what happened with Chad Holmgren, which we're going to talk about, uh, maybe being directed towards him, towards Crawford, I mean, or towards that event. And this was just supposed to be this fun summer event, getting LeBron James to come to Seattle and publicize that he's there, that he loves the city of Seattle, that he loves basketball in Seattle. That is a huge monumental event for the city, for the community. Huge shout out to Jamal Crawford. I want to start with that. But there are some issues. 
One issue was not being able to get as many people into the actual gym as they wanted to. That is not good and unfortunate for people who waited hours and hours and hours in line to get into the arena and weren't able to go. But the bigger issue was that the court was not set up well for this kind of event. There were four basketball games back to back to back to back taking place. They, of course, ended it with the big event with LeBron James. Didn't even mention Jason Tatum, Boston Celtics superstar. He was in attendance as well. Of course, Bancaro and Chet were there in that final game. But by that point, the court had gotten really, really slippery. And early in the first quarter, LeBron James on a breakaway, Chet Holmgren getting back on defense, tied him up. A lot of people like to to phrase this as what happened as Chet attempting to defend LeBron James. I want to be clear for anybody who hasn't seen the video. Chet successfully stopped LeBron James. He stripped the ball from him. LeBron got it back and the team ended up scoring. So it didn't look like a big success, but Chet stopped Chet, or excuse me, stopped LeBron James on a fast break. It's hard to see exactly what happened from the few camera angles we have. He came up limping pretty intensely after that, immediately stopped, grabbed his foot, came out of the game. That was kind of all we know until very recently Sham Sharania of The Athletic reported that an exam shows that Chet has potential torn ligaments in his foot. There's not a lot of detail outside of that. It says the exam shows potential torn ligaments. I'm not a medical expert. I'm not an expert at reading exam results or MRIs or scans of any kind. So I do not know exactly what this means. My knee-jerk reaction is if they looked at the the results and didn't immediately see there is a large torn ligament right there, it might not be a huge injury. The fact that they call it a potential torn ligament means that it wasn't glaringly obvious. Again, speaking as somebody who's not incredibly plugged into this kind of stuff, I am a diehard basketball fan, podcaster, not a medical expert, don't want to pretend that I am. But this is not good. Chet Holmgren is hurt. He is hurt. He is unable to continue to play basketball right now. And the immediate timeline for how long he is going to be out is very, very up in the air. Very up in the air. Looking at torn ligaments and foot, just kind of profiling that kind of injury. Basically, it's a really wide range of outcomes. Some guys are back in two to three weeks. If it's a very small tear, depending where it is on the body, you could, there's a reasonable possibility that Chet Holmgren is back before Oklahoma City's first game, which is on October 19th. That is just under two months away. It's about seven weeks away. It is possible. I don't want to say that it's likely because my guess is that there's not really any compelling reason for Oklahoma City to rush Chet Holmgren back onto the court. This is not a team that is intending to be particularly competitive in year one. The rebuild is still happening for Chet Holmgren's Oklahoma City squad. So I don't think that they're going to be aggressively trying to get him back onto the court right away. But this is the kind of injury that, depending how small it is, depending where it is, it's not a season ender. It's not a, he's going to be back in six to eight months. It might be, but it is not necessarily that. So we'll wait until we hear more clarity on exactly what Chet Holmgren's situation is going to be like. I would err on the side of assuming he's out longer rather than shorter because, again, If Oklahoma City was trying to win a championship this year, they might rush him back a little bit, but they're not. They're not trying to do that. In fact, they might actively be trying to lose this upcoming season. So the longer they can hold Chet Holmgren out, the better in their mind. So I wouldn't expect to see him super soon. We'll obviously keep an update on this as it goes on. The last thing that I wanted to talk about, this is frustrating for so many reasons, obviously seeing any 
basketball player, any person get injured, especially right before they get to do the thing that they have been trying to do their whole life, is really sad. Seeing a player get hurt right before they make their NBA debut. This is what Chet Holmgren has wanted his entire life. Do you guys remember when he crossed over Steph Curry when he was 15 years old? That was all building to this, to him making his NBA debut, to him being an official NBA basketball player. And that is likely going to be delayed. How long? Unclear. But anytime that happens to somebody, the react I don't like to tell people how to react, certainly, but it's hard to see people who don't react with sadness, empathy, sympathy, whatever it may be, toward the person who suffered the injury. I understand that the discourse around Chet Holmgren for the last calendar year has been muddy, has been gross, has been disingenuous in a lot of ways. Chet Holmgren is tall and skinny, and that is kind of the only thing people like to talk about when they talk about Chet Holmgren. The concern that many people had was that he's tall, he's skinny, he's going to get hurt. And those people feel like they're right. They feel like they're right right now. And that is frustrating. Because while he is tall and he is skinny and he got hurt, that does not mean that they are right. There is not any causation here that indicates that him slipping on a floor that was not capable of holding that many basketball players for that day. The game got called off less than a quarter later. This game didn't make it to halftime. LeBron James, many other players basically opted to stop playing. I believe it was Marjan Beauchamp who was, uh, was in the G League last year. He's a Seattle area guy who's, uh, I can't remember what team he's on, but he's an incoming rookie who slipped going up for a dunk when they finally called the game. Chet wasn't the only player who slipped, who wasn't the only other player who had issues. We don't know necessarily if his injury was related to the slippery court. Watching the video, it's really hard to tell. It didn't look like he obviously slipped and fell in a way that means that it had anything to do with the court, but it probably did. It seems likely that that was related to Chet Holmgren's injury. And regardless, his weight, how much his, how much he weighs, didn't have anything to do with the injury. This was a freak injury for a guy who hasn't been hurt since he was in middle school. He did not get hurt in high school. He did not get hurt at Gonzaga. He suffered a freak injury on a slippery basketball court going up against the greatest basketball player of all time. And we're talking about how he didn't eat enough cheeseburgers at Gonzaga, and that's why. And that is ridiculous to me. People celebrating that, not even, like people actively celebrating it, they can go to go to hell, frankly. Like, that's disgusting. They should not be doing that. But it's even the people who maybe aren't celebrating it actively, but who have it, whether it's internal, whether they are voicing it on social media. And this isn't exclusive to non-Gonzaga fans. A lot of people are saying, well, look at what all the Kentucky fans or Auburn fans or whatever. It's not just them. It's not just them. And painting a picture of these are the people who are saying mean things is, is kind of exacerbating the issue. You're making it worse if you do that. And so I think there are Gonzaga fans. I've seen people in my mentions on YouTube, on Twitter, wherever, who thought that Chet Holmgren was going to fail, who believed that he did not have the frame to do this. Now, are those people celebrating that he got hurt? I hope not. Probably not. But if but there's definitely this sentiment that this was somehow predictable because of his frame. And I'm here to tell you it wasn't. It's not. If he struggles to root to get healthy again, or if he does get healthy and he continues to get hurt and he kind of gets this injury prone, like we can have a different conversation at another time. Potentially that could happen. But this one thing happening has nothing to do with his frame, has nothing to do with who he is as a basketball player, the, the risks of, of a player of his size. This was not this, these things are not related. I do not believe that these things are related. You may disagree with me. That is okay. I understand that. But seeing people 
champion a 20-year-old kid getting hurt before he makes his NBA debut because they thought, hey, he might get hurt someday is just ludicrous and something that I sincerely hope we can move past as a society in the not-too-distant future. We're going to come back in the second segment. We're switching up topics in a major way. We're talking about the Zags' latest addition to the non-conference schedule. They got one more team on the schedule, two more games to go. We're going to predict who those two final teams might be. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. We're now talking non-conference schedule for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. The Northern Illinois Wildcats are the newest team added to Mark Few's schedule on the non-conference slate. They will be playing the Gonzaga Bulldogs in the kennel on November, excuse me, on Monday, December 12th. That is the, the time has not been announced. That is the date, Monday, December 12th. It is two days after they are hosting the University of, or excuse me, three days after they are hosting the University of Washington. That game is scheduled for Friday, December 9th, and it is five days before they are playing Alabama in Birmingham as part of their home-and-home series that was played in Seattle and Birmingham over the last couple of years. So kind of squeezing in another game here between UW and Alabama, two big-time Power 5 programs. The Wildcats, not a particularly good team. They finished last year 297th in Ken Palm. So we talk about how we want Gonzaga to add less sub 300 ranked teams technically technically they squeezed northern illinois in there 297th so not quite just inside the top 300 teams uh, in division one level last year uh, they finished 9 and 21 last year they were in the mac the mac record was 6 and 14 uh, these two teams have never played each other so this is the first matchup between the two of them uh, again not a particularly great opponent here but this is kind of what we expect this this is this is the kind of game I expected to see Gonzaga add. They have two more on the calendar, and I expect them to look fairly similar. For the most part, Gonzaga's non-conference schedule will be teams outside of the top 250 in Ken Palm or within the top 40. And that's basically exactly what we have right now. Gonzaga has North Florida, Northern Illinois, Montana. All of those teams are outside of the top 250-ish. I believe Montana finished 248th, but we're splitting hairs at this point. These are not very good teams. Those three teams, not good between 250 and 300, so out of the range of, of really competitive basketball games. And then after that, basically every other team is top 45 
I think Michigan State finished 42nd last year, but then you have, of course, Alabama. You have, of course, Kentucky. You have Texas. You have, I'm sure that I'm forgetting some, you have Michigan State, like I said, who was right in that conversation. You have the PK-85. Portland State doesn't count, but the rest of those games are all going to be pretty dang good. Of course, Baylor, that's the team that I was forgetting. you got Baylor on the calendar. Uh, the only games that are not in that range of either top 45 or outside the top 250 would be Kent State. They are playing them on this, the 5th of December. They are 151st in Ken Palm's ratings. And then UW, who is 110th. Of course, they're going to continue to keep that game on the calendar for as long as possible. So again, Mark Few and the staff, they, they have a type. They have a style. They like to build with their calendar here. They like to have a handful of not good teams, tune-up games, buy games, whatever you want to call them. And then, of course, as many really high-profile, blue-blood caliber opponents as they can get on the calendar. But... For me, I've mentioned this on the podcast a handful of times. I'm going to mention it again. I would like to see Gonzaga fill out the rest of their schedule with more mid-tier teams. There's basically nobody on this calendar between 100 and 200, with the exception of, again, Kent State and UW. That's it. Those are the only two teams that are within that range on this non-conference calendar right now. Frankly, those are the only two teams on this range between 43 and 250, 247 by my count. Basically, there's this huge chunk of teams that Gonzaga is kind of just actively avoiding. Team like good mid-major teams, not elite mid-major, but good quality mid-major programs are getting ignored. The bad Power 5 teams are getting ignored, which that's frankly fine with the exception of UW. But we're not seeing, and a, and a lot of these teams are, are local area teams that I think it'd be really fun to see Gonzaga play. I've talked about this on the show before, who my dream opponents would be for Gonzaga. They have two games left. My guess, if I'm giving you a guess right now, it's going to be something like Northern Arizona, who I think was 325th in Ken Palm last year. And maybe that final game will be Alcorn State or Texas Southern if they haven't released their schedule yet. Uh, Maybe a rematch with a Merrimack or a Bellarmine, somebody like that. Two teams well outside the top 250 is my guess. Would love to be wrong about that, but that is my guess. I will offer a few teams that I would like to see Gonzaga schedule if they were willing to do so. Now, I didn't look to see if these teams have revealed their non-conference schedules already. I'm sure a handful of them already have, and so this is kind of maybe not an exercise that's actually productive because these are not teams that the Gonzaga could add to their schedule. But a couple teams that I think fit that bill that I would like to see Mark Few and the staff go after uh, if they don't want to fill out the schedule with some of those very bad buy-type games. Uh, Number one from the WAC, Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian finished last year 131st in Ken Palm. Uh, The connection that was there was Kyle Bankhead, who was an assistant coach at Abilene Christian last year. They came very, very close to making the NCAA tournament upset Seattle U in the WAC semifinals, lost to New Mexico State in the WAC championship, so did not get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament, but a good quality squad. Bankhead is, of course, now an assistant coach at the University of San Francisco, so perhaps they could get that game with Abilene Christian on the calendar. Sticking with the WAC, sticking with that semifinal matchup, Seattle U, I have long championed Gonzaga and Seattle U playing each other. Uh, It's one of the few local area teams that Gonzaga really doesn't have any interest in playing. We know that they have canceled their series with Washington State, but they at least played that game for a very long time. Uh, We have seen them occasionally play Eastern Washington in the past. 
Um, and now we're seeing Seattle U is just a team that doesn't doesn't get a lot of love, doesn't get a lot of opportunities to play uh, to play Gonzaga. And yet they were a top 150 team per Ken Palm last year. They finished 139th. They came pretty darn close to making the NCAA tournament. They got a new coach. Chris Victor had a very successful first season with the Red Hawks. This would be, I don't know if they can make it work this year, but this would be a really fun game for me personally. I also went to Seattle U as a grad student, got my undergrad at Gonzaga, grad, grad degree at Seattle U, so I have more of a vested interest in this game potentially happening, but I think it makes a lot of sense for Gonzaga to play an opponent like that. A couple other teams on the list for me, Long Beach State. Of course, we know the connection there. Dan Monson, head coach of the 49ers, longtime head coach at Gonzaga, also coached at Minnesota before taking the job down in California. They finished last year 160th per Ken Palm. A couple other ones that don't have as big of a tie, but that I think would be fun, would be Hawaii and Weber State. Uh, Hawaii, of course, uh, would be very fun to actually play a true road game, although I doubt Gonzaga would ever do that. Uh, but even getting them out there, Hawaii has been a sneaky good program in the past. They were 169th. Weber State, 174th. The alum, Damian Lillard's former school, Weber State, a, a, a quality program in the Big Sky Conference. And I think one that would be fun to see Gonzaga tack on their calendar. And then the last couple ones are some more regional ones, not as competitive of games. Eastern Washington, 217th in Ken Palm last year. And then the two Idaho schools, Idaho, which was 324th, and Idaho State, 339th. They would definitely not qualify as being those good tier mid-level programs that Gonzaga could add to their non-conference schedule. They would be among the worst. In fact, either of those schools would be the worst school that Gonzaga would add to their schedule. But again, if you're going to add programs that are outside the top 300 and buy those games like they've done in the past with Northern Arizona, with Merrimack, with Texas Southern, whomever it may be, I would rather see them do it with somebody local like Idaho or Idaho State, potentially ignite a rivalry in the Inland Northwest. All right, that is going to do it for the second segment of today's show. We're going to come back in the third and final segment, and we're going to talk Cordy Vandersloot. We're going to talk the WNBA playoffs. The Chicago Sky have advanced. They are moving on. We're going to talk about what that means for Vandersloot and her legacy right after this. All right, segment three, still any patents, still... Locked on Zach. Switching over, we talked Chet Holmgren's unfortunate foot injury in the crossover Pro-Am in the first segment. We talked about Northern Illinois getting added to Gonzaga's schedule and what other additions could happen for the Bulldogs in the second segment. Now we're moving on. We're talking WNBA. Courtney Vandersloot and the Chicago Sky in a three-game series. The WNBA switched up their playoff format. The first round is now just a three-game series. They were playing the New York Liberty led by former Oregon Ducks point guard Sabrina Ionescu, of course also coached by Coach Kelly Graves. He coached her, he coached Sloot. Tremendous impact on the game of women's basketball in the WNBA so far for Coach Graves. Uh, these two teams battled it out for all three games. New York took the first game commanding, commanding victory for the Liberty. Uh, they were the number seven seed. Chicago was the number two seed. They were very close throughout most of the season. They looked like they were going to end up being the number one overall seed. Ended up not quite getting that. I believe the Las Vegas Aces were the number one overall seed. But the Sky, number two seed, and they're looking to repeat. This is the team that they were a six seed last year, but they made a tremendous run through the WNBA playoffs. Sloot won her first WNBA championship last year on a team with Candace Parker, a team with Allie Quigley, Kalia Cooper, an incredibly talented Chicago Sky roster. Now they're looking to repeat. Folks, 
There hasn't been a repeat champion in the WNBA since the Los Angeles Sparks in 2002. 2001-2002 was the last time the WNBA had a repeat national champion. We talk about parity in professional sports. We talk about Tom Brady making 10 Super Bowls in that time. We talk about dynasties with the Los Angeles Lakers, with the San Antonio Spurs, with the Golden State Warriors. We talk about baseball and, and some of the legacies that we've seen there, the Dodgers, the Astros, so on. There hasn't been a repeat champion in the WNBA in two decades. That is incredible. The WNBA has less teams than all those other major sports combined. Significantly less teams. All of them. The WNBA has 12 teams. 12 teams. And they haven't had a repeat champion in 20 years. That, to me, is an incredible stat and one that heightens my interest in the WNBA, the ability of these teams to turn their rosters around somewhat significantly, to have a... To, for anybody to potentially step up and win a championship and to see it hard for teams to continue to build and sustain success, that makes it fun to me. Uh, the WNBA has some things that they need to work on. I think that expanding, either expanding rosters or just expanding the number of teams so that more players can be in the league is a tremendous thing that needs to happen. The interest in the league was at an all-time high this year. Some of the numbers for, for viewership on these games were staggering this year. This league is... There's a lot of interest. There's a lot of parity. It's an exciting time right now. And Sloot and the Sky are still kicking after getting beat down badly in game one by Sabrina's team, the New York Liberty. They came back and won by 38 points in game two. It was the largest margin of victory in a WNBA playoff game of all time. And then just when it looked like the Liberty might sneak by and secure a victory in game three, they were within three points in the fourth quarter. Sloot and the Sky went on a 22-7 run and closed the door. They are advancing. They will play the winner of the Connecticut Sun and Dallas Wings game. I will pull down the court curtain for you right now. I'm recording this Wednesday afternoon, less than an hour before that game starts. By the time you are listening to this, the Chicago Sky will know who their opponent is, whether it is the Sun or the Wings is unclear at this point, but that is who they are playing next. Salute 14-10 and 10 in Game 3, 14 points, 10 assists. What an incredible season that she had. I know we've talked about it a handful of times on this podcast, but since the season ended, here are the accolades. She was an AP All-WNBA second team member. The official WNBA first and second teams have not come out yet, but it is very likely she will either be first or second team once those come out. A lot of really, really good guards in the WNBA this past year. Uh, Skylar Diggins-Smith, of course, Sabrina Ionescu. We talked about her, Jewel Lloyd. I'm sure I'm forgetting a handful of others, but Sloot is right in that conversation as well. She made her fourth All-Star game this past season as well. And she moved into third place in WNBA history in assists. She passed Lindsey Whalen. She is now third all-time. Sue Bird, her primary competitor, who is the all-time assist leader by a significant margin. Sue Bird is retired. I, I shouldn't say she's not retired yet. She's playing for the Seattle Storm, who are, of course, in the WNBA playoffs as well. But she has retired from playing going forward. So after this season, she will not be accruing any more assists. Salute has a reasonable chance to potentially move in to first place all time in WNBA history and assists if she can stay healthy for another four-ish seasons. Right now, she's not focused on that. She's focused on being a two-time WNBA champion, being the first team in the last two decades to accomplish that feat. We'll have more on Salute's quest for the Chicago Sky to repeat as national champions as the WNBA playoffs roll on.
All right, folks, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out my written content. All of the stuff we talked about today is down in written form at scorezagscore.com. There is a link in the show notes. Check it out if you haven't done so yet. Tons of fantastic content there. One more episode coming your way later this week right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.